and good morning. This is Sam Poston from the Home Theater Forum podcast. I'm here today at the Criterion Collection in New York City. With me is Lee Klein from the Criterion, and also joining us today is Ron Epstein, one of the co-owners of Home Theater Forum. Unfortunately, my co-host Brian is not with us today, but hi Brian, he'll be behind the scenes working on editing for us, and hopefully we'll bring everything to a crisp and clear podcast for you guys to enjoy. We've got a ton of questions from our Home Theater Forum members, and I'm going to introduce Lee a little bit and let him talk about the Criterion Collection and what they bring to the world, and then we'll get into your questions. Uh, I do want to apologize in advance for any mispronunciations on any of the movie titles, any of the quotes, or even our members' names. Uh, We do apologize. We're going to do our best with that, but if we get them wrong, please cut us a little slack. So, today we're speaking with Lee Klein. Uh, Lee, can you tell us a little bit about about what you do here and uh, what Criterion brings? Sure. Uh, So, uh, I've been the technical director here for, uh, God, I don't know, it seems like seems like half my life, I guess because it is, uh, about 25 years now. Uh, I've seen it grow from um, VHS and Laserdisc okay. to DVD to Blu-ray to 4K remastering to HDR. So I guess I've seen the whole thing change five, six times, Okay. which I like because I, yep. get, to see, uh, I get to see higher quality each go-around. You're right in the heart of our hobby, so you're, yeah. you're, you're, uh, you've been involved with everything. And- uh, as I keep telling our listeners, we're we're literally in the golden age of our hobby right now. You know, we've we've gone from you know thirty thousand dollar screens that look like absolute garbage to for a couple hundred bucks. I mean, just about every family in America today can can see movies pretty much as the director intended. Yeah. And so it's it's been companies like yours that have helped us get there. So it's it's very much appreciated. Yeah. Well, thanks. I mean, I, I, I love the fact now that people can really emulate a theater experience in their home mm-hmm. for practically nothing, yeah, like you peanuts, said. Right? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and we, we have members who have, you know, literally just a sound bar and a flat screen all the way <laughs> up to Dolby Atmos 7.1.2. So the, the questions that they're, they're giving us reflect that as well you know but the the thing that we have in common is that we all love movies we all want to learn more about movies and that's really been one of the the backgrounds of our podcast is we we, we like talking about the hobby and and what's available today and so that we're very appreciative that you guys inviting us up here yeah sure so we have a a couple questions before we get to what our members are talking about okay Uh, but first i i've been following criterion since the dvd days i I wasn't in on laser discs but i know that a lot of uh, there's a lot of ties between janus and criterion collection so you can can you tell us a little bit about what that's all about yeah well janus i mean janus kind of started the whole thing before criterion did you know back in the 50s janus was the ones that brought filmmakers like Truffaut and Kurosawa and Tonioni to America, Ingmar okay. Bergman. And um, I would wager to say that uh, uh, the, the foreign film audience was created by Janus Films because they made them accessible. If you lived in, a, in, in places like New York City, you could go to a, 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 a cinema and see those movies. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and, and they became successful because of that. And uh, as international uh, audiences became more sophisticated and other countries and, and, and audiences started seeing those things, Janice's role in this just became greater. And um, that was 
probably very exciting for people who didn't know what people were gonna in America were gonna make of Truffaut and Kurosawa. Sure. But, you know, you see those movies back in the late '60s and early '70s, and um, movies were smart then. You know, people okay. were audiences were were really seeking mm-hmm. something different, and Janice was there to provide that niche. Gotcha. Okay, very cool. And today, are, are they the same company, or are they separate companies, or how does that work? They are essentially set, well, I like to call them sister companies, because okay. uh, they have the same people managing them, uh, different crews for the most part. Janice is a small group of people. Okay. Uh, but the people that work at Janice who are in this office, mm-hmm. they basically are criterion people. They Excellent. just specialize in, 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 in the Janice area. Uh, and those, uh, those things are, are mostly theatrical bookings mm-hmm. or taking on some movies that maybe didn't have a home at first, like The Great Beauty, uh, which you know a lot of, a lot of studios and uh, uh, companies didn't want to put out and didn't want to buy when it was made. And Janice saw it and believed in it, and it went on to win Best Foreign Film that year. So you never know what's going to happen. But Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the Janice relationship is very strong with Criterion. Mm -hmm. We work together. A lot of the movies start at Janice, end up in Criterion's catalog. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, If we had our way, they'd all end up there. But (laughs) there's just so many room in the Criterion catalog. We're going on our 1,000th disc soon, so that's pretty exciting. Do you have a special one picked out for it Uh, you can't talk about? <laughs> you know, I've heard things mentioned, but I haven't heard uh, the definitive title yet. Okay. So I actually truly don't know right, this answer. So, so stay tuned for that, for yeah. sure. Um, so you mentioned uh, the, the, the history of foreign language films. Um, do you guys have an idea what percentage Criterion does that's foreign language? You know, if I had to guess off the top of my head, I'd say it's at least 50%. You know, I, 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 it changes all the times, too. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we know we, we, some of the studio titles that we've licensed are also the foreign films that they haven't put out. Okay. I mean, Truffaut's Day for Night was, at, was, at, was with Warner Brothers when we picked mm-hmm. it up uh, for uh, DVD and Blu-ray. So uh, I'd say it's a, it's, it's a, it's a good amount, um, and it makes it, um, you know, there's a lot more to do with a foreign film. You have to make sure mm-hmm. there's a good translation that goes with it, which you don't have to think about when you do an English language mm-hmm. title. Uh, and a good translation is imperative to watching a movie successfully. Right. Uh, we've seen old prints that have burned in subtitles, mm-hmm. especially some of the old um, Bergman films. Yeah. Sometimes they speak for uh, several minutes and there's no translation. And uh, I don't know why the audience put up with it back in <laughs> 1958, but nowadays they are yeah. a little bit more, uh, we're better about yeah. those things. Okay. You mentioned that you have relationships with studios like yeah. Warner Brothers. Can you talk a little bit about what that means and how you establish those relationships and what you're looking at going forward? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the studio relationships are, you know, they're important and they're delicate and they're awesome because mm-hmm. there are so many great movies in these studio libraries that they need to get the attention to get them out into the world the right way. Not saying the mm-hmm. studios can't do them. They can do whatever they want. And they can do great at sure. them. But there's been less of an interest with discs for the studios, and we've maybe taken on that role a little bit okay. by, by giving a disc of a certain movie uh, more life than it might have if it was just thrown out there for uh, $4.99 or $9.99. Right, right. Um, we'll add context to it with extras that uh, uh, we feel help the movie go or understand the movie better mm-hmm. or help them love it even more. 
Yeah, so I think that the studio relationships, we, you know, as far as our mastering goes, which we're kind of here in a technical capacity more mm -hmm. than we are as an editorial capacity, I can tell you about how some movies make it in the collection and why some don't, and mm -hmm. you've, your viewers have asked a few, about, uh, a, a few questions about specific mm -hmm. titles, which I'll try to do my best at, but they're, they're tough questions to answer. Sure, uh, and, and, and from the tough question side, you know, a, a lot of the things that uh, we, we know that you've handled in the past have, have been... Uh, not troublesome type titles, but things that, you know, that, you know, have a history and, and there's plenty of other titles that are out there. Like I know Brian will kick me if I don't ask about, you know, titles like Song of the South and stuff like that. Right. Is that something that you guys actively look for, finding those films with history that's not always necessarily the most positive things out of a out of a studio to help them yeah. with yeah i mean i think so i mean you song of the south with disney i mean we we do a relationship with disney we've put out um some of the uh, abc titles that disney picked up which mm -hmm. were uh, uh the hitchcock films uh right. spellbound notorious and uh rebecca nice uh which uh, i think they've all been out but uh, spellbound uh which hopefully will come out at some point and uh and and uh the Sam Peckinpah film, um, Drawing a Blank. Uh, Wild Bunch? No. Mm -hmm. well, that was him, right? That was him, but that's not the yeah. one. Uh, we can come back. Yeah, that. Dustin Hoffman. Okay, okay. we'll, come, we'll okay. come back to it. So there are movies that we have an advice to do. We have a great relationship with them. You know, Disney and Fox are, have, you know, have, have had a, recently had a merger. Mm -hmm. That's made that relationship. Um, sometimes we're not sure who we should talk to, right, if we're talking right. to Disney or Fox. And we have friends at both. So we feel like this, once that all works out, maybe some of those titles will be a little bit clearer about what we can add to our, our, our existing deals for those and, studios. And both of those studios have been aggressive about starting up streaming services, yes. too. And Disney's launching November 12th with their own... Do you see those streaming services as an additive to your business? Is it something that might be cut off those relationships, or uh, too early to say? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think for the disc market, I think we'll probably be pretty good. And mm -hmm. you know, we do know that people still love their discs. Yes. Uh, the sales of discs are still good. Mm -hmm. uh, people love to collect. They can't collect streams. Right. Yep. Uh, I guess you could collect streams, but uh, it's not the same. There's a, you know, you look yeah. back here and that, that, that group of books is so much more appealing than a hard drive. Right. And yeah. I think people feel the same way about this. So I think uh, with the streaming net services competing against each other, only time will tell how that mm -hmm. works. Uh, hopefully it's not a competition, but something that there's a streaming service for everybody who needs a specific type of streaming service. And you guys have your own. The, the Criterion Channel, it seems like it's had a very strong start. Yeah. You guys are pretty pleased with that, I hope. It's going well. It's going well. Um, we're, we're, we're happy with it. It, mm -hmm. it. We wanted to get it up and running after Filmstruck uh, uh, went off line and we wanted to get it fast so uh, what you see is something that we're proud of that we feel as is you know always going to be a work in progress because streaming is mm -hmm. always going to change and we can do things better we can do things we can change things we can make them work differently uh, but right now it's a great way to watch a movie and we feel mm -hmm. really happy with it one one of the the biggest complaints from our members uh, about the streaming services is that some of those are on rotation they're kind of ephemeral and with the Criterion Collection, it seems like once something's on your channel, it, it, it's there to stay. Is, is that fair, or do you have the same kind of relationship where you might see titles move in and out? You'll see titles definitely move in and out, because what we do, we didn't want it to be that you, uh, the lanes that you do this on are called swim lanes, and when you, mm -hmm. 
you know what it's like when you're uh, on a, a streaming ch- a service and you're you're just you're just doing this. Right, you don't yeah. land on anything you really want. <laughs> we want you to stop and and find something that maybe you haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like the programming on the channel is more in line with how do we keep people interested to keep coming back night after night or week after week Mm -hmm. double features that make sense or uh, filmmakers that have a spotlight on them Mm -hmm. or uh, just pieces uh, that are edited and put together that help people understand something that they're Mm -hmm. about to watch that may not be there next month that may come back later there's lots of ways that we can do it and you know we're finding out what people like we're finding Mm -hmm. out how we like to program and I believe the channel is coming to its own because of that sure from my perspective the the content on there is more meaningful right there there's there is a reason that something's on the criterion channel rather than just this this was you know our feature of the month and it'll be gone next month and and that's what I really dig about about the Criterion channel in particular you guys have the Saturday matinees and you do use that for a highlight like I saw this week you're doing Fiddler on the Roof and I'm like man I haven't seen that since I took my own uh, film studies class and so it's like okay I can get into this and then go into the background with it and find out what you guys think was important about it and and then share that with you know other home theater forum members and other people in the hobby and say you know have that shared experience while still doing a stream right yep that's exactly i agree with you i find things i i mean i go on the streaming service to the the criterion channel just to see what's on there and Mm -hmm. i don't intend to watch anything my my goal is really (laughs) to see what see what's going on in there and then i'll find myself deep in an interview that i never thought i'd be watching and i i I love that about an hour or two have passed and i've you know, it's great. I haven't been watching uh, uh, in people's uh, pet Instagram videos, so nice. it's nice. Yeah. One one last question that I've added to to our users list is: It seems like you guys have done some massive collections, uh, and and uh, again, those were big on disc, and hopefully yeah. even bigger on streams. Yeah. Um, how big of a focus is there on doing collections like that? How much of a pain is it to to do something like that versus a single disc? And yeah, where do you see that going? Uh, I'm staring at the uh, 100 Years of Olympic Films right now that's behind, behind uh, Ron. And, um, you know, they, those boxes are, they're a lot of work. Yeah. They are a lot of work. And they, they're a lot of work in so many ways. They're, uh, the, the, the building of the box itself mm-hmm. and the art design of it, the design of the menus, the inclusion of what films, the editorial sense that it has to have. How do you make 100 Years of Olympic Films make sense right. uh, with a book that makes sense and, and give it the right context? How do you add extras that make sense that doesn't overwhelm? I mean, you can spend a uh, hundred days with that box and, 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 and not have, have, have watched everything. And the hardest part for, for, for my group as I watch is, is the quality control. These guys have to watch these films over and over. Right, they have yeah. to make sure that everything is restored properly. They have without to make sure the insane. sound is all there. They have to, <laughs> yeah, without going insane, yeah. right. Um, and um, it, it's not the easiest job. So the box sets do require a ton of work. Are they rewarding? Mm. Sure. When you get that box and it's finally done and you first hold it, you right. think it was all worth it. You know it was all worth it. Right. Then you start watching the things in the box and you think it's pretty great. And it looks great on your shelf. Too, yeah, you know? it really does. And that's one of the things that our members are, are, are very adamant about as far as going to the streaming future is that we're going to lose some of that. Yeah. And so you guys have been absolutely knocking it out of the park for 30 years with the artwork and the, the booklets and stuff like that. And, and it, it, it's genuinely a loss to, to, to not have I that agree. going to the streaming future. I mean, I miss it with music. I miss it with, with movies. But you know, at least with movies, we're still kind of going. I mean, I've moved over to Spotify and watched my, mm-hmm. listen to my music that way. But I can't do it with movies. I love the fact that I can put it a disc. I know it's going to play all the way through and it's going to look right. great. Okay, cool. 
All right, so uh, let's turn our attention to the, yeah. the list of questions that okay. our, our readers have put through. And again, I apologize, readers, if I get your names wrong. So uh, first one up is Doug Pipel. Uh, does Criterion have any plans for releasing titles on disc in 4K UHD or streaming in 4K? So that, that was echoed a lot. So, yeah. So Doug was the first to ask it, but everybody's they certainly did. interested. In yeah, that. everybody wants to know about that. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not here to give strategies or uh, to give numbers about, you know, what sales are and things like that. I'm really a tech guy. I know there's been a lot of talk about these uh, 4K discs, uh, 4K streaming. There's, there, it's not a day goes by where we don't discuss it and, and, mm -hmm. and try to figure it out. You know, the market is, it's not a big market. Mm -hmm. That's part of the problem. Um, what I personally like to see these for, absolutely. Do you yeah. think I want to remaster, remaster everything in 4K right. and then just see it go out in HD? I mean, it's one of the things I love about DCP is at least we can, if you go, uh, if, we, if we make something in 4K and we make a DCP of it, you can go to the theater and see it in 4K. Right. Truly, that's the best way to do it. Right. There's no doubt about it. Uh, it's the least compressed of the, of the 4K methods. Uh, it looks great on a big screen. If you mm -hmm. go to a great theater with great sound, with a good audience, not, yeah. always, not, always, <laughs> not always the case. Yes, yes. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, I can't really say when or, or, or when there will be a, uh, a 4K disc. I hope there is. I don't know. I mean, it's something that, that we would love to do. I, I have to leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, there's probably a more detailed explanation to it. I can't really give it. Yeah. All I know is I'm fighting for it, too. I would love to see it. And if we can make it happen for reasons uh, beyond my control, then right. we'll do it. And so... I mean, it's not like you just add it to one part of your chain, right? You have to start at the beginning. You need a new UPC code. You yeah. need everything, a new package. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. And then you're selling it to a consumer who may or may not be able to take advantage of it. Correct. Online, so. I mean, the other thing about it to me is interesting. Like, I, I don't know who are the people that are that are asking for the 4K disc. You know, I don't Home know what... Home forum readers. I, I agree. <laughs> I, no, 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 I know that. I know that. But I, what I don't know is... What are they watching on? Because, yeah. you know, when it's 50 inches, maybe even 65 inches yeah. or less, an HD Blu-ray looks pretty yeah. damn good. It's hard to see a difference yeah. on a screen that size yeah. from HD to 4K. That's another reason that there's complexity with the decision. Mm -hmm. Because how many people are watching on projectors or, or 100, foot, uh, 100 in screens? I don't... Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you and probably... A few hundred yeah. other people yeah, yeah, are, yeah, yeah. but I think that's, you know, again, I don't know the numbers. Right. I don't know the strategy behind it. it's a it. big expense, right? It's a big expense. Uh, yeah. uh, we're ready. Yeah. Uh, we, we've got these, these, these uh, 4K remasters ready mm -hmm. to go, so we can do it. Uh, but for now, you'll have to go to the theater and hopefully see the 4K DCP. So we, we were looking at some of your editing suites today, and we were talking about the aspect of H, HDR on right. it. And so there are ways to do HDR in a subtle way and yeah. get, give more director intent type yeah. versus just overwhelming you with color and sound and stuff like that. And the, the criterion market's probably more towards the, the first of those, right? To, mm. to try to be more true versus bombastic? Well, I would think so. But, you know, I, you know in the, when we first started looking at... Uh, HDR examples, let's say, uh, whether we were at labs where they were doing it or the first discs. 
you know, what we saw were, uh, we did, we, when we had done Blood Simple, we had uh, showed it to, we, we did the standard dynamic range version of it first. Mm -hmm. Then we did uh, an HDR version. The Coen brothers came in and they watched the SDR version and signed off, made their changes. Then we said, okay, now we want to show you uh, this high dynamic range version. There. Oh, what's that? You know, we tried to tell them. And um, so we said, oh, let's come up, let's go see it. So we were in a lab in LA and we went up to the uh, HDR monitor and showed it to them. And they kind of looked at it and uh, they watched it for a few minutes. They're like, okay. Yeah. And that's all they said. And then we thought, okay, well, that, they weren't that excited about right. it. But then we have somebody like Steven Soderbergh, who, after we worked yeah. on Sex, Class, and Videotape, said, I want to do uh, an HDR pass. Okay. And we said, yeah, okay. So he came in here. Uh, and I remember saying to him first, I was like, what, you know, what do you want to enunciate with HDR? Because you basically have muted... Uh, muted yeah. uh, highlights in yeah, most of the power. movie because right. yeah. I just want to make it pop in a few places. Yeah. So we went in. We'd go 10 minutes without him. He'd go, it's that light. Just give it a little boost. We'd go maybe up to 150, 200 nits. Okay. And he said, that's it. And I love the fact that he didn't abuse the technology. Right. He just used it where it made sense. Right, right, right. And it all clicked for me when, when somebody who's thought about it, who actually knows what it means, mm -hmm. who knows what... I mean, he's very technical. He yeah. clearly understands HDR, and he used it wisely. So since then, we've done a few things. We've done Rumblefish uh, was another one to name one, uh, and, and uh, Francis Coppola looked at it and uh, approved that. Um, uh, did he think it was uh, a revelation? No, but he's really into technology, and he liked the idea of being able to do it. And if you go see the new Apocalypse Now... It's pretty spectacular. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, and that will be, I, I, I just did a talk in Bologna, Italy, at the film festival there with nice. uh, their guys who did the restoration of that. And um, that's something that uh, you'll want to get uh, for your home in HDR. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's going to be your show off disc. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we're in. Yeah. Okay. Next up is uh, Angelo Columbus, who's. Uh, I'm not entirely sure I'm reading the question right, but he says that uh, your semicircle C logo has been at the beginning of the disc. Any plans to do new logos or anything like I that? haven't heard any, any plans to change it. I think we, 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 we kind of like the logo. I mean, yeah. one, of the, one of the things people always ask me about the Janus Film logo yeah, is, yeah. you know, we've consciously, you know, if you notice, it moves around a little yeah. bit. It has a little bit of flicker. We've consciously, could we have fixed that? We could have fixed that 10 years ago. And... We just want to remind people that this is the logo. The history, right? That's yeah. the history. It it's started iconic. on film, both, right? Both of them are iconic. It's true. Sure. It's also the same way. You know, I always give this, this, uh, this, this answer when people say to me, "What do you, you know? Do you do you remove all the dirt? You know?" Mm -hmm. And you know, Jim Jarmusch, who we've worked on now four, five, six movies, six of his movies, mm -hmm. he always says to us, "Can you leave just a little bit of dirt so I remember that it was shot on yeah, film?" Yeah, and yeah. you know. Well, boy, my guys, they don't like that. They don't because <laughs> they can't not right. remove a piece of dirt. It's yeah. so hard for them. They have to. They have to take it out and put it back in okay. because it drives them crazy to leave it. Yeah, yeah. But we do it for Jim because he says, and you know, it's kind of a. Yeah. It's kind. You know, that and I look right. It's kind of that look. A little yeah. little flash of dirt. It's like mm -hmm. a skip in a record, maybe. I don't yeah. know. Uh, people have their memories of these things. Well, I mean, we've got plenty of people who are still on vinyl and they like that vinyl <laughs> sound. That too, warmth, so. right? Uh, it's not for me, but, but yeah. I, but I can appreciate yep. the aesthetic. So. Uh, Paul Rawson wants to know, does Criterion Collection have any plans for the 1961 West Side Story, El Cid, John Wayne's Alamo, Ken Russell's Music Lovers, The Cotton Club, and The Sheltering Sky? 
the answer to that is maybe. <laughs> okay. I think that's going to be the answer for a lot of these. Right? Yeah. We can't, we can't do any kind of announcements here. We so can't. Sorry to you guys. But may, and maybe doesn't mean yes or no. Right. Maybe means maybe. Yeah, and, and certainly the interest is there, right? And there it all is. comes down to getting the rights, getting the correct, getting the elements, right, and getting whatever's necessary, the funding together to to do all the 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 extras that you guys right. are known for. Right? I mean, you have to also remember, like both West Side Story and El Cid are big uh, sixty-five millimeter productions. Right. The, yeah. the Alamo, is the Alamo sixty-five? I think it is. I don't know. But I don't know, Bob. I'm sorry yeah. because Bob will kill me that I don't know the answer to that because yeah. he's been talking to me about the Alamo for years. But yeah. uh, that is a lot of work, yeah. and that's a very expensive undertaking. Yeah. I think our thread on the Alamo is up to like 65 pages. Yeah, now. I so believe there's, it. There's plenty of interest there. Yeah. And all the right people are talking about it. So yeah. Hopefully we see it at some point. Yep. Um, so. Also, uh, Rick and a number of other people noted that it seems like there's fewer commentary tracks today. Is, is that something you guys are conscious of? Or yeah. is it a big cost driver? Or? No, it's not a cost driver. Um, you know, some people are really good at commentary tracks. Uh, yeah, David Cronenberg is one. Terry mm-hmm. Gilliam is fantastic. They're storytellers. You know, yeah. they're they're great at it. Others are not as good. It doesn't mean okay. that they necessarily make a bad commentary. But we do it when it makes sense. Uh, you know, I know, for example, um, there'll be a commentary track on the the chaplain's uh, the circus. Okay. Uh, it made sense, and we opted to do it. Uh, they'll be on the Coker trilogy, the Kiristami films, uh, Where's My Friend's House. Uh, there's three films in that, in that, mm-hmm. that group. They, uh, they will have uh, commentaries, too. They, when, they, when they need it and they make sense, we'll do it. Okay. And who's, who's doing the commentary for the Chaplain stuff? I don't know. I believe it's a scholar. Okay. I don't know for sure. All right. Cool. We'll, maybe we'll, we'll ask look, Abby look, when she comes in yeah, because look, that's her we'll, title. We'll look forward to that yeah. for sure. Uh, Joel asks, uh, if a company like Kino licenses something, does that put it off limits to you guys? Or do you have like timeouts or how does that work? Well, I mean, if you look at the, 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 the Criterion channel, you will see that there are movies from uh, lots of different places. And okay. our relationship with Kino is good. We, we, we love those guys. We, 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 you know, they, they, they make some, some great stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, no, it's not off limits. I mean, we'll, we always talk to each other, and uh, we will include them whenever we can. Okay. So it's a licensing deal then? Yeah. And you guys are a pretty small community, so you are. It's yeah. not like you've got an antagonistic relationship with other similar companies that, you know, you guys are all working together, at least. We're all friends. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And we like, we want to keep it that way. I mean, I think the channel is a home for, for not just Criterion films, but for films like Criterion films. Mm-hmm. Sure. That makes total sense, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jim Cobb wants to know on the new streaming service Criterion channel, are there any plans to upgrade the sound to 5.1 or Dolby Atmos down the future? Yeah. Maybe? We're going to, we're going to leave this one for Ryan. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. So we'll push that back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lewis Hellman wants to know, does Criterion have any plans to release the recently restored George Cucker's Holiday, Jack Clayton's Room at the Top, or Ken Russell's The Music Lovers? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. So I think, unfortunately, you're going to get a lot of maybes on those. Not too many maybes. I maybe give you a yes. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to that, too. Yeah. Brian Kidd wants to know, how much work on average does Criterion have to do to on improving the image and sound quality in the Masters that you get from the rights holders? And did you ever, ha- ever have to kill a, a, a planned release because of the elements that you got? 
I do know things have been put on hold for what seems uh, years because some films, they just have element issues or they have problems. Um, a lot of the Russian films took a okay. really long time to come out. Um, uh, so I know those were some, but they're slowly trickling in, which is good. Um, one that always comes up is uh, Der Suzala, which is a Kurosawa film they made in Russia. Um, that has been uh, difficult. Okay. Uh, what's what's out there and available to release is 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 not what I would like to release. Um, so I feel like that's uh, that's a tough one. Okay. Um, and you know some of the, the older Japanese titles are quite difficult too. I mean, uh, the the library of like pre nineteen sixty Japanese films, uh, they're in rough shape. Some of them. Some okay. of them are those only sixteen millimeter prints of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as they get to restore them, uh, we will put them out, and that helps them. We'll occasionally, we'll spearhead our own restoration, but uh, uh, those have been tough. Okay. Yeah. And um, so you're not just relying on um, being fed. No. Uh, elements from uh, from rights holders. Sometimes you'll go out and research and find missing elements and stuff like that. Too. Absolutely. I mean, uh, one of the titles that we were working on that we just talked about before was Now Voyager, and Now Voyager, uh, you know, was difficult because it it has an original negative, but not all of it is in good shape. Okay. Um, so that has made it um, difficult, but we have managed to find. Uh, additional film like nitrate uh from from the archives that uh is lovely and but it's that takes months of of checking this and saying mm-hmm. oh that one doesn't work that's no good that's no good i think we looked at five or six pieces of film uh at warner brothers uh to find uh something that made the whole movie look as good as it as can be gotcha. those things take a while and one of the things that we talked about on our tour earlier is you guys don't do any scans yourselves right you you farm that out to yeah. houses that are good at that and yep and so you've got relationships with all the companies that, that do that. And the countries, uh, too, that, uh, that, that, that keep these films, that's very important because, you know, we don't want to ship the original Negative right. 7 Samurai from Tokyo to New York City because why would you want to risk that? Right. And I believe that, uh, we have always come from the fact that, that scanning should happen where the film lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, occasionally we'll move something. Um, uh, uh, and you know, occasionally you'll get to. I know, like with the World Cinema Box of of movies, which were from you know some very small countries that maybe not even, don't even have a scanner. Mm-hmm. Those are moved from uh, from those countries to a home that where gotcha. they can be kept well and right, scanned right. well and 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 you know presided over. Gotcha. Uh, filmmaker Vincent Perrier, who's got. Uh, Blu-ray of his film coming out soon wants to know, while the restoration and supplementary work of Criterion is exemplary, there's been concern over the authoring and compressing of many titles. Often overseas versions on Blu-ray using the same source restorations have been released that look noticeably better than your releases. Um, Is there concern over that? Is there... Are you guys worried that you're putting too much stuff on a single disc and that the audio or video... Um, you know, suffers because of that, or uh, is there a backstory to that? I mean, there's not really a backstory. What 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 I will say is, you know, I've heard this before, mm-hmm. and I here's what I will tell you: when something is mastered or remastered, and then it's that movie is then compressed, we always compare them from the original to the compressed version. Mm-hmm. They have to match. If they don't match, 
there's a problem and we'll deal with the bit rate, we'll deal with anything else. We also mm -hmm. always make sure there's enough bit rate, especially on a movie that needs more bits. Uh, if there's too much audio, we'll go to another disc. Whatever, whatever it takes, we always feel that the compression of a title is good. Okay. I do know that on some of the movies that we've done, some of our competitors have put them out, and those have been compared to, and they may say that their compression is better. We've looked at those titles. We don't always agree. Okay. What we do see sometimes is additional sharpness put on, mm -hmm. which we don't do because that changes the look of it. Right. We have seen slight color changes mm. from somebody compressing something else to what we've done, and we have the original to compare it to, so we know. Uh, so I stand behind our compression. I feel mm -hmm. like the people that are doing it are do, do a great job. I don't see a need to change authoring facilities. We love the, we love the company that we use. They, they, are, they are not only good, they're great. They will find things that we don't always see. Mm -hmm. They are exactly what we want in a partner who's doing our compression, and we feel good about it. Okay, I mean, even even on our own threads where we're discussing this, you get many many different perspectives on this stuff. So you do. So if you're happy with it and the director's happy with Correct. it, I, I I don't think there's much that you can argue about. Yeah, I mean, we, we've got you know, home theater forum is not really the kind of um, you know bit peeping, you know, pixel peeping <laughs> that a lot of sites are known for and right. throwing up screenshots and getting all been out of shape screenshots over. are tough too you know yeah. like if you look at a screenshot of something you immediately might draw a a concern mm -hmm. but if you look at an emotion yeah. that isn't always the case right. and you know I, I, I personally like screenshots I like mm -hmm. to see the differences because it's kind of like whoa look at that it's pretty amazing but at the same time I don't think it's always fair yeah. I think you have to just put the movie on I mean you know not every print was made the same right um, you know, and there's also like people's memories regarding color and things are, yeah. are, are always slightly different. Cinematographers may remember something a little differently than they remember now. Not always accurately. Not always accurate. And also they say, oh, we've got this great answer print. You should match to it. We look at the answer print, we're like, we can't match. It's terrible. Yeah. Like, and then they go, oh, yeah, it's not so good. So, there, you know, <laughs> you've got a lot of things going on. Right. So reasonable people may differ. <laughs> reasonable people may differ. John Brooks wants to know, do you plan on releasing previous out-of-print titles like Pandora's Box. I'm sure that's a maybe. Mm, that's a maybe. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good maybe. Okay. Uh, when will Criterion release Oliver Twist, Summertime? Uh, you release both on DVD. So, so ha are you guys thinking about upgrades from DVD? Always, or? always. And we've been, you know, we've been carrying them out over the last, you know, well, mm. whatever how long Blu-ray's been out. We've been upgrading as much as we can I think we do a couple of upgrades each month mm -hmm. um, those two do need upgrades I think they will come out uh, at some point and um, uh, God uh, Summertime would look fantastic uh, it, with, with you know from the original negative and 4K so uh, mm -hmm. I would personally like to see that one I, I imagine that will happen okay so uh, is there like a prioritization as far as re-releases go or do, would you rather be working on new stuff or is it uh, I think we, it's both yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's totally fair. Yeah. Uh, Patrick McCart and Tim Holmes want to know. Uh, I'm always fond of the geeky technical stuff. Me too. Geek here. <laughs> uh, 
the featurettes on restoring films such as the one from The Man Who Knew Too Much, Mildred Pierce, The Philadelphia Story, and the Apu Trilogy are fascinating. What's been the most rewarding film to work on and why as far as restoration goes? Mm. And what's the most problematic you guys have dealt with? You, I mean, you mentioned one of them earlier. Yeah, now Voyager. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, problematic, but a uh, problem that's solvable. And those are always nice. Uh, uh, Stagecoach for one for me was, uh, it was a tough one. That was a tough one. I looked at, I must have looked at 10 pieces of film mm-hmm. out of archives that I could go wherever anybody had something. And like one piece of film after the other was Doopy and there were prints. And, you know, the best thing I found was at the BFI and it was pretty good. Okay. It was missing some sections. Yeah. You know, that one, you, you know, you just look underneath it and you go, God, this film could look so beautiful. But yeah. you, you're only as good as your film. We say that yeah. all the time. You're you only don't want to put out a Frankenstein where it's just different from scene You have to, scene. to sometimes, though, yeah. because, you know, I remember with Stagecoach, we had to really make things match because they just weren't in certain yeah. places. And, you know, uh, Puchilji has been, you know, sort of like the, the, the biggest uh, uh, of the most difficult titles because mm-hmm. it's three films that were originally burned in a fire and what was left were scraps of from the fire mm-hmm. and uh, copies uh, in various places that were inferior. I mean, the, the first film, Parapanchali, was never really a very well-made film. It was the first film for the director, Sajid Ray's first film. It didn't really look great to begin with because mm-hmm. it was, splices were iffy and he sure. was, you know, God knows what labs were like in yeah. Calcutta, India back, back yeah. at the time. Uh, uh, but underneath there's some beautiful images. Right. And going back, when we did have the negative that survived mm-hmm. the fire, God, it was beautiful. And you had to go to a place that didn't have the original negative. You immediately got pulled out from it. Okay. And that was tough. But I think what we did in the end for those movies is a major work of restoration, uh, truly a major work of restoration. We couldn't have done it without the partners that we used, but they, it really, it's a very satisfying ending. Yeah, Yeah, in the end, you've got that history there that otherwise film fans like us could never have gotten. It's true. And so, you know, the perfect is the enemy of good, right? Yeah. So so you've got to draw a line somewhere, uh, but you got to go with the best elements you you can and and recognize that you're never going to reach perfection just done <laughs> it's it's exactly true yeah. i mean I, I i think i wrote a, a a few things down here like young mr lincoln was was a tough one okay. that one felt like it was it was not easy to be or not to be was one that i always remember because we had the original negative it came from library of congress mm-hmm. completely moldy uh, i went through the whole thing and you'd see underneath it would go the mold would go away for a second come right back uh, and we couldn't use any of it gotcha. and you know that's depressing Heartbreaking, right? yeah um, As a film fan, first of all, you know, just yeah. to see that history. Oh, it breaks your heart. It's like, I mean, I don't know, you know if it's a good example, but like opening a, a vintage bottle of wine having to be bad. Uh, it's, yeah. You know, Cork maybe this is worse. I mean, it's always another bottle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not always another bottle of this. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, recently some of the, the new restorations we've done of Hedwig and the Angry Edge are, are re- were really rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, Days of Heaven was very rewarding. And um, yeah, I think there's... You know, there's there's a lot of rewarding films that uh, that are easier too. Sure. But there, but but you know, like with Hedwig, it, why it was rewarding was mm-hmm. working with the filmmakers who never got to finish everything they wanted to finish the right way, and they were 
sort of like they wanted to try all these different things, but they didn't have, know how to do it photochemically at the mm -hmm. time. But with digital, they were able to finally get in the place oh, where they gotcha. wanted to be. That's next on my watch list. Well, it's it looks fantastic. Yeah. It sounds great. Okay, cool. It's, it's a it's. A, I've never seen it, so super fun and really really breaks your heart at the end too. Okay. So I'll leave you that. Well, I'll, I'll look forward to that. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, any chance we don't have a name on this one any chance a restored blu-ray release of uh, Fellini's Julia to the Spirits and any more Truffaut films coming out well definitely uh, you will see more of, of each of those at some point uh, but next year is the Fellini Centennial is it okay. the 50th it's the 50th Centennial right yeah so uh, uh, there'll be I think next year will be the year of the Fellini so okay. there will be I think uh, all look the forward to that. all the, the Italians are working all the Italians the Italian uh, uh, um, owners are working mm -hmm. on uh, restorations of many of the films nice. and um, I assume there'll be a big box or something like that that, that coincides with this release look forward to that yeah um, Bernard McNair wants to know does Criterion have any plans to make its streaming service to consumers in Australia and, and around the world so yeah. we, we got a couple people wanted to know about that so yeah. that's a rights issue right it is it's a rights issue but also we're unilaterally looking to expand to places where uh, where English speakers uh, are because we feel that uh, you know that's an easy one for us to do other uh, without having localization issues. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yes, I would, I, I don't know for a fact that Australia will be there, but I can't imagine it won't be there because, uh, you know, it's a, that, big market, right? it's a big market. We're yeah. in the UK. Uh, so I would say it's definitely a, a very good maybe. Okay. Well, don't, I don't know a date. Yeah, it could yeah, be years sure, from now, sure. but I think it will happen. But, it, but it, it's something that's on your yes. long-term plans. Yes. And we kind of skipped over the, the, the talk about going to higher uh, quality uh, sound formats, too. Do you see that as a priority? Uh, why don't I let Ryan answer that, too? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. you did say that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll, we'll save that yep. for Ryan. Uh, John Gilmore wants to know, uh, or first of all, he says it's so cool that you've made films with special features available for streaming on the Criterion Channel. I, I dig that too. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, any chance that you might be able to purchase a digital movie with Criterion Extra, say through the Criterion Channel or iTunes? As much as I love physical disc, limited storage space makes large disc collections impractical. Mm. I, you know, I, I do know that we we, we would like uh, the movies to be on iTunes, and I know mm -hmm. there's been lots of talk about that over the years. I, I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule it out. I don't know when it will happen, but I do know that. And 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 I don't. The Criterion Channels it really is kind of in a, in its infancy, so mm -hmm. I would imagine that will that could be a, a possible thing with the Criterion Channel at some point too. I don't know that. I'm speaking as a uh, as a tech guy who yeah. wants to see these things happen. Yeah. Do I know they'll happen? I don't, but I I imagine they will. Cool. I, I look forward to that. I, I I'm a both guy. I yeah. have have an enormous disc collection, and I also. I'm a subscriber to Criterion yeah. Channel, and I've got iTunes, Voodoo, and everything. And so when I get a disc, like a Kino or a Criterion, and it doesn't come with the, the iTunes code, or you yeah. can't go buy them separately, it's, it's kind of a little bit of dissonance there saying, yeah. this this is different than how the, the big channels are running things sure. these days. So, yeah. so I, I know that a lot of people would like to see that for yeah. sure, but understand it's a rights issue, it's a cost there's, issue. There's much more, uh, yeah. there's bigger complications to it yeah. than, than, than you and I probably know about. Sure. Yeah. Michelle Hafner wants to know, any plans for a place in the sun, Roman Holiday, La Strada, or La Nati di Cabria? Great group of titles. Uh, 
Kiberia. Yeah, Knights of Kiberia. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I imagine that uh, both those will be represented uh, next year in the, okay. the uh, in the year of Fellini. Okay. Um, I don't know about Roman Holiday. I don't think I've heard anything about that. Um, Place in the Sun. Personally, I'd love to see it. I don't know if there's any plans for it, but uh, we'll add to the list for sure. Okay, so maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Jeff Hanawalt says, any plans to release? This is Spinal Tap, goes to 11, in Blu-ray with the existing commentary tracks. Another title I'd like to see a Blu-ray upgrade is The Prince of Tides. Yeah, I mean, I can say maybe. Okay. Tap into America? Let's tap, yeah. We may <laughs> tap into America. Okay. Uh, Prince of Tides, maybe? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, are there any plans to re- restore the Corda Michael Powell version of The Thief of Baghdad? That's funny. I've been looking into that one. I know, I know that one has come up quite a few times. Um, the film elements are complicated, the, uh, uh, but I personally would like to see that one happen. I'm on a mission to make that happen, so let's okay. say uh, uh, big maybe? Okay. Yeah. Uh, hopefully maybe. Yeah. All right. Uh, Alan Hollis asks, while several labels mostly release transfers are sent to them, Criterion seems to give extra to the releases. How much additional work do you do on the transfers and what percentage of titles do you work on? Well, I mean, I don't know if I have a number to relate to it. We, you know, there's the studios, the archives, the, 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 the overseas licensors, they're all making really good masters now. And there's no reason that people need to make two masters or something when something's mm-hmm. good. So uh, we try to take them whenever we can because, uh, we, I mean, in the Ingmar Bergman set, uh, most of the, the Swedish Film Institute masters are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's, there's no reason not to use them when, 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 they, when they exist. Um, do we do more work on them? Uh, occasionally, if a master... Uh, if we see like a place where there could be a little bit more uh, deflicker to help with an image mm-hmm. or a piece of dirt that might have been left by accident um, that we can now remove easily, uh, sure, we'll remove it. We'll, we'll make sure that we talk to the owner, make sure they're okay with that uh, before we do it. But uh, a lot of times the movies are, are pretty good as they come. Okay. You'd mentioned to me in the tour earlier that you forward the work that you've done back up right. the chain, right? So, so right. So that can happen too, right? So if we do a little bit more work on something or a lot more work on something, we'll we'll happily uh, uh, provide the owner of the film uh, a copy of that too. It's happened recently with something, but I can't remember what it was. Uh, yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um, there any chance that rights permitting the monthly schedule of Criterion UK releases will one day match the US one? And I think we kind of covered that. Yeah, we kind of covered that. I would, you know, it's that that the UK releases are only growing, and um, mm-hmm. uh, I can't imagine it won't continue to grow. Do you guys have any? Uh, you're mostly English language yeah. focused, right? So yeah. there's no no plans to do, you know, uh, commentary tracks and other. Uh, put putting in uh, additional language tracks other than English where appropriate or no I mean I, I, I that has come up before where people would like Spanish tracks or French mm-hmm. tracks um, you know if they have been made uh, for somebody else we would include them but that doesn't happen very often right. so I, I don't think that's going to happen very much okay fair enough uh, looks like we get a pile of maybes coming up mm. I'd like to know if there are plans for blu-ray releases for Equinox Fiend Without a Face, The De- Devil and Daniel Webster, or Great Expectations? Uh, they're all good maybes. Good maybes. Anthony Clark wants to know, 
Will Criterion consider releasing as a standalone Blu-ray Lenny Reifenstahl's 1936 classic Olympia? Some of us simply cannot afford the massive Olympic Games Blu-ray set. Oh, but you should have that box. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I'm staring at it right now. Yeah, it's very I, beautiful. I see four of them. There. I know. Well, okay. Maybe... Uh, Maybe, Maybe we'll on have the to, channel. Is uh, that possible? Yeah, they'll be. They, I think they're on the channel. I don't know that. I don't know that don't for know. sure. Uh, but I do. I do believe there is a, a plan to release to to single out some of them, um, okay. if not all of them, uh, uh, at some point. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. Okay. Yeah, and again, it goes back to some of the the controversial ones. Like yeah, Len- Lenny Reifenstahl certainly yeah. would fit into that. Uh, again, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. Sorry. <laughs> That's pretty uh, good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What criteria, uh, no pun intended, uh-huh. is used to add a film to your collection? For example, would you ever consider doing a 70s disaster film uh, or maybe a collection like Earthquake, Airport, The Swarm, um, given their niche in filmmaking history? Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at some of the niche, niche collections that we've already done, like uh, or genre collections, I guess you could say, like Theme Without a Face and mm-hmm. Atomic Submarine and uh, those movies, uh, we're always open to that. Uh, the Blob is another one, another sure, niche movie. Yeah. Um, uh, but... Uh, I, th- I presented this question to uh, the president of the company, and he said, "Sure, I, I-, I would be open to that." So I think if they would come up, that would be it would be super fun. I grew up on those movies. To me, it would be uh, be a blast. That's still Poseidon Adventure, Tower mm-hmm. Inferno, and, sure. uh, and yeah, my, my family used to go see those on Christmas Day for some reason. I, now I look at it; it's a little weird, but uh, uh, disaster movies on on a holiday. But uh, yeah. So asking and this is from me asking how does like the reverse of that happen like a popular film like Benjamin Button's come to Criterion? Uh, I believe that one happened because uh, David Fincher had asked us and we had a relationship with him uh, okay. uh, prior to that, uh, and we thought it was a it was a great opportunity to make some really uh, interesting uh, extra pieces for it. So. Okay. Uh, Oh, I think it's really exciting. I mean, you know, people always ask me about uh, The Rock or... Uh, mm-hmm. or yeah, uh, 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 was it Con Air? Uh, not Con Air, uh, 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 Anyway, we'll take The Rock, but... Yeah, uh, yeah sure. Uh, the Rock is the one I like more anyway, so that's probably mm-hmm. why I remember it. But uh, we got to do some really fun stuff with that. Um, mm-hmm. I would even like to see it on Blu-ray. I think it'd be a fun, yeah. fun disc to yeah, do. Let's do it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you and I have our way. Sure, yeah. yeah. Well, if I had my way... <laughs> Well, we, we certainly wouldn't be talking about something <laughs> in the South, that's right. for sure. <laughs> Yi Feng Yu wants to know, uh, I think we covered this a little bit, when you restored uh, films in 4K as detailed by the booklet disc linear notes, do you also master it with HDR like Dolby Vision? Or not at all for when 4K and HDR is eventually released. Yeah, I mean, well, there's two types of um, HDR, there, or I, there's several types, but mm-hmm. the two that are, are mostly discussed are HDR10 mm-hmm. and Dolby Vision. Right. Uh, yes, we have done some things in 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 both those uh, formats, and um, we, I, I think, what we've done. So we always leave it open that uh, uh, we can always go back to the source and retinker for for HDR. You can uh, do a pass. We can right? do a pass, right. right. So uh, basically we keep our color grading session, mm-hmm. we keep our raw scans attached to it, and then we would pull it up again and just do a trim pass on it. So mm-hmm. we wouldn't lose any highlights or, or information that was uh, uh, maybe blown out in the, in the first transfer. So we have, we have been uh, provisionally uh, getting ready for that. 
Right, and so up to now, you've only had cinema releases of HDR movies, right? Uh, we haven't even done any cinema releases. We've just done them for archival reasons or because we've been interested in the technology mm-hmm. uh, and, and been ready. We also got a few ready for, uh, for broadcast HDR, but okay. I don't know if they ever even saw the light of day. Uh, yeah, I don't know that. that but it, it's not that you guys are ignoring it. It, it comes down no, to no. the whole chain. I mean, if you talk to my tech or, guys, we all love it. We all yeah. we love having that. I mean, you don't love it. Woo, look what you can yeah. do. What we love is just going, oh, I wish you had it. We don't have to stop there because right. it's peaking. We want to yeah. go. We want to go up to here sometimes. Right. And now we have that latitude. And that's pretty. Then you go back to a standard dynamic range and you're like, ah, yeah. you're stuck again. <laughs> you're ruined, it's right? Ruined, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the biggest, the biggest way to see, the, the best way to see that comparison is to not just look at HDR. Because when you look at HDR on its own, sometimes it just looks like more contrast. Okay. But if you look at both of them side by side, standard dynamic range and high dynamic range, you really see, wow, look what you can do there. It almost looks right. dull in comparison. And, and how much is that the actual HDR versus the wide color gamut? Is, is there like a, a difference to you guys in that, or is it all kind of rolled? It's in? all kind of rolled into one. I mean, there's, there's obviously technical differences with it all, mm-hmm. uh, but I feel like the HDR has sort of taken over that, yeah. that role right now. Okay, cool. Uh, Lon Cross wants to know, I was disappointed in the quality of Criterion's DVD release of The Lady Eve. Any chance this film could be restored to Blu-ray? Maybe. Uh, well, I will tell you. Out of all the one of, out of all the difficult titles I've worked on, Lady Eve is one of them. Okay. And uh, you know, we have a good relationship with Universal. We are we have been. This has been sort of one of those that I know needs to be remastered. Every time I look at film, I go, oh, I wish there was something better on it. And it comes down to the original. It, there's no good. There's no good original yeah. film for it. There is like a French nitrate in uh, the Library of Congress, which is. Um, it's got burned in subtitles. Mm. Uh, it's not very good anyway. Um, so I think for Lady Eve to come out now, it has to come out using something that's already existing because I we're see. not going to find anything. So I wouldn't expect the bump. I mean, it will be better because it'll be 4K. We have better restoration tools mm-hmm. at our disposal. Will it be the, the show-off disc of the year? Probably mm-hmm. not. But uh, I agree. I love it so much. And I think that's why I've had a hard time disconnecting with that one and just saying, okay, let's just use that safety dupe negative because that seems to be the best one. Because that, to me, is just feeling like defeat. Do you guys ever find, like, elements from, like, collectors that... We do. If you're a collector and you have something beautiful on Lady Eve... uh, Email you. Yeah. yeah, and then I'll email you. <laughs> yeah, and you'll email me. And, uh, and I will give, put your name all over the package, okay. too. Yeah. Because we, we do have people that, that still collect And we have film. found prints from, yeah. uh, from, 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 from people in our audience, yeah. especially trailers and things like that. Yeah. Collectors are great with prints. And, you know, yeah. we just did the cameraman and the, uh, the, we, w- the best film that we found on some of the material that was missing from the original uh, was from a 16 millimeter print that a collector had okay. that was at the Library of Congress so thank God for collectors yeah. one of the things buzzing on the forum is that you know collectors have you know original Star Wars I've heard this prints and they're yeah. doing semi-illegal you know <laughs> cuts of yeah, their own stuff yeah. so 4K even, so you never know what those no. collectors will order. Yeah, you can get a 4K scanner now. You can do yeah. whatever you want. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. The future is cool. Yep. Uh, Luke Cross also asks, I'd love to have 1957's A Hat Full of Rain restored. Oh. It's only available in pan and scan. Yeah, that one I don't know anything about. Don't know that yeah, one. Sorry. I, I'm not familiar with either that or yeah. the Lady Eve, so... 
Konstantinos uh, wants to know, is there any interest in Greek cinema for the future, which is entirely absent from the collection? Yeah. Any Greek stuff that you're familiar with? Well, I can tell Konstantinos that you bet your Papatakis that there is. <laughs> okay. So stand by for that, Konstantinos. Chuck White wants to know what factors go into criterion deciding to include a commentary or not. And I think we kind of we kind of covered that. And I, I, you know, I know that uh, some people really do want to see commentaries and everything, but yeah. it just doesn't make sense. And you have yeah. to just you have to use it wisely. You right. can't overload people with commentaries. Sure. I mean, the laser stays. We did a lot of commentaries. Yeah. So I think now, uh, I think people's viewing habits are slightly changed too. Mm. People. Like thirty minute interviews. Yeah, uh, they like to see the person. Yeah, I mean, unless podcasts you did a, are great. For podcasts stuff like are this. great. Yeah, exactly. Podcasts yeah. are fantastic for this kind of yeah, thing. So, filmmakers, email me. Yeah. Uh, Chuck White also wants to know. I uh, was really hoping there would be a commentary with your Detour release. He's his favorite noir. I'm not. Yeah. Oh, it's Detour. fantastic. You should yeah. see it. Uh, I mean, Detour. I love noirs. So. Oh well, you should see Detour because first of all, it's it's uh, I think it's 67 minutes or something okay. something short, 73 minutes. It is such a tight, fun little yeah. movie. And uh, if you do have the disc or you don't have the disc, mm-hmm. but you want to get the disc, there's a section on about the restoration that uh, which was done with the Academy. Uh, and the Film Foundation, and they literally removed all the burned-in subtitles from this beautiful print. It's such an amazing feat of technology. Really? To me, that's half the story of why Detour yeah. is so great, but Detour is such a good movie. Okay. Uh, is that Hitchcock? It's not Hitchcock. It's, uh, God, you're, you're putting me on the spot, and I'm I don't sorry. know the answer to that. I, I should know his name, and I don't. We'll have to cut that out. Yeah, so he says a film historian commentary would have been great. So, Chuck, you can make your own commentary track with a film historian. Right. I will... We'll back you up on that. Uh, Andrew Hannigan asks, would you consider releasing John Sayles' Lone Star? Quite surprised it isn't on Blu-ray already. Yes, uh, we would definitely consider it. Okay, maybe. Uh, Yeah, but uh, I will just throw out a nugget. Look for some John Sayles soon. Okay. So uh, Richard also uh, echoes... Uh, questions about the sound, uh, which I guess we'll get. Yeah, to. we'll have Ryan talk to you about and, that and stuff. I, th- I think. Oh, I, there's one question too that I think we. I don't know how we skipped it, but it was about the uh, the teal. Oh, that that's in the next section. Oh, that's in the next yeah, section. We've got that coming for Ryan and Lee. Or yeah, so that's yeah. That? Let's just do that one together sure. because Ryan Ryan's a sound guy. He's, okay. I think he's maybe could so, be colorblind for all I know. So let me let me intro that. So. Uh, uh, Many of our viewers have noticed that industry-wide that there is a, um, a, a current, not crisis, but a, a tendency for films to be released on home video with a, a teal tint. Yeah. And is that something you guys are concerned about, worried about, knowledgeable about? Well, I... I how, do, how does that come about? I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Is it a scanning issue? No, it's not a scanning issue. It's, you know, I think part of the, part of the teal, which I kind of refer to more of as a cyan, as a technical term. But I'm colorblind. I should okay. Oh, Two okay, kinds. fine. Okay, fine. So, so you don't, don't bother you. It's not a problem for me. Fine. Um, well, I do think, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a, was a release of Tree of Wooden Clogs, which I know had uh, people wishing there was less teal or cyan. Mm-hmm. Um, that, the filmmakers completely 
presided over that that master mm -hmm. and that's the color that's he chose that's yeah. what he looked at when he looked at back at his prints and people didn't like it because other versions of it had it taken away and that's easy to do a little right. flick of the dial in a color correction sure. room and you can change teal to, to blue very easily is it right you have to leave that to the people that actually use the references for their choices or cinematographers that have an opinion or directors who know what the color look like on Bull Durham Ron Shelton was clear about the color that he wanted for it. He even made a statement about it saying, saying that this is the color of the uniforms, that I remember it. You've got to accept those things and challenge them when you really feel strongly about something. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm working on something now that I want to show you uh, that I think will help understand where the color choices come from. And we'll take a little walk in the back and I'll show okay. you uh, an example. But, you know, uh, I have an answer print that I have um, transferred that we looked at in a projection room and the transfer matches the projection because it's a one light, it's a print and that color is there, it's there. Would, if I didn't have that reference, I can tell you for sure, I probably would have dialed it out. Yeah. If I didn't have the director or the filmmaker with me, I might have dialed it out. But looking at the print, I know it's supposed to be there. Right. So. There are a lot of cases where people just feel like it's arbitrarily there. It's not. There's reason for it a lot of times. Mm -hmm. You know, I know Brian De Palma had things to say about uh, Dress to Kill, and he wanted certain colors that, that he wanted, and people thought, well, that's not the color that they remembered. Well, Brian De Palma's the director. Right. He gets to make the decision. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why it's a director-approved edition. Okay. I, I think that's very reasonable. I mean, uh, a lot of the arguments that we see over things like this are you know based on memory right and, and assumption feeling. right yeah memory feeling assumption yeah and you know looking at things with modern eyes yeah too so that's a very so, good example right modern so, eyes changes changes things right and you know we we have the you know the kind of the art of the possible what what things could look like in a yeah. perfect world totally in 2019 2020 yeah and you you've got to be appreciative that we can you know get closer to the truth of what something was meant to look like from a 1970s or an 80s or yeah. you know, even back in the 50s and 60s yeah and it's not going to be perfection as far as what today looks like but it's what it looked like back then is close to the director's intent if that's what they say is, is what they wanted agreed cool well, that's our list up until we get to Abby and Ryan. Yeah. Uh, so why don't we take a break here? Yeah, sure. And uh, we'll pick it up then. Yep. Thanks, Lee. Sure. Okay, we are back at Criterion on the Home Theater Forum podcast. I'm with Abby Lusgarten, and uh, we have a question from Philip from Home Theater Forum. And Abby, Philip would like to know, in creating Ingmar Bergman's cinema, what was the greatest challenge that you faced? And from concept to completion, how many years did the entire project take? It sounds like it was a big well, deal. <laughs> well, Philip, I wish we had years <laughs> to complete it. Um, we started to come up with ideas for this project January of 2018. You know, we knew that his, the centenary of his birth was coming up, right. and we obviously have been, you know, a big supporter and importer of Bergman's films for decades. Okay. And um, we had been, you know, we licensed the films from uh, Svensk, Svensk Film Industry. Uh, we knew rest, huge, you know, big restoration projects were 
coming down the pipes because they too obviously were going to be celebrating the centenary so we decided we wanted to do something massive and honoring him in a way that we have um, honored him in the past with each and every title we had already released so we needed it to be completed by the you know by basically the holiday season it was you know every year we do one big really big box set so this would be it so we started to think about it in january february okay and i think we delivered everything all the discs and the book by the end of august that's crazy it was insane and, and, and Maybe a little bit into September, but not much. And like, how many people was that? Was that just you? Uh, so, yeah, it was multiple people. We needed a lot of minds to, to really mm-hmm. hone in on what this was going to be. And, um, you know, because he has made so many films, we first had to think about, okay, how many do we want to put out there? Right. And how many, you know, of those that we don't have the rights to, how many mm-hmm. can we actually, you know, go out and get those rights? Right. So. Um, we ended up with 39 feature films wow. on a 30-disc, 30 30-Blu-ray 30 uh, box set. That's crazy. And one of the biggest factors always with putting together these editions is the actual video time mm-hmm. that will be encoded on the disc. We have, a cert- we have certain parameters. And sure. so we realized that some of his films are actually kind of short. Okay. You know, in the 80 to... 90 or 100 minute range mm-hmm. and it, and because blu-ray allows for a greater amount of minutes we came up with the idea that we could actually put two on one disc mm-hmm. and then that evolved into well if it's two that kind of feels <laughs> like a double feature and you know we really from the outset i should say we wanted to make this a very fresh take mm-hmm. we didn't want to just go chronological uh, we didn't necessarily want to go thematic but we thought you know let's treat it like a film festival okay and kind of broke it open into a whole new range of how we could present it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we knew that our some of the titles we had released already, those would stay as is. So mm-hmm. those would be single titles. But then we, I had to kind of fill out the rest of it according right. to pairing the films, according to what I thought made mm-hmm. sense to me from the bit of <laughs> the research, the crash course. Sure. You know, I, I'd put together some of our Bergman titles, but mm-hmm. nowhere near the number that we ended up and, with. And so I, I haven't seen this collection. Oh, okay. I, I, I have not. So were there extras for all of the films or some of the films, or how did that work out? Yeah. Um, we, In the amount of time we had, we couldn't possibly present special features on all the all the titles mm-hmm. but um um as i said the the and the single titles that we had already released on dvd and blu-ray mm-hmm. those stayed at is so stayed as is so all I those see. supplemental materials stayed on those discs okay. and then when possible with existing programs that we would get from sweden or from other places i was able to kind of expand on some of the titles nice. and then also we had a disc disc 30 that is a kind of a collection of sort of further exploration about certain people Sven Nykvist for instance um, we didn't have anything that was totally specific to him Mm -hmm. and he was so integral in in all of the majority of Bergman's films so um, I found we found this really good um, English language interview with him so I in audio only Mm -hmm. so I edited that uh, and included I illustrated it with clips from films nice. and photographs. So, you yeah, know, we cool. were able to kind of expand in, in, in ways that we could within the, <laughs> the sure. limitations of sure, the sure. set. And um, 
Are those available on the Criterion channel, or is there a plan to bring some or all of them I there? I think just about everything is on the channel. I would have to double check that. Okay, um, including the extras? Yeah, I mean all the you know all the extras of the of the Bergman titles that we'd already released should be up on the channel, I believe. That's right. um, yeah. Well, look look for that, Philip. Uh, it it definitely sounds like it it uh, uh, made you happy, and I'm definitely going to check it out now too because as a film student, uh, I I love learning, and I sadly uh, the the Bergman is just one I haven't had a lot of exposure to, so I will definitely check that out, especially if it's on the, the channel where I'm a subscriber. Yeah, it's a deep dive. <laughs> um, sure. So that was the only question we had specifically okay. for you. Do you want to say a little bit more about what you do for Criterion and sure. fill us in? Yeah, sure. And what you're, maybe you can say what you're working on today, maybe not. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm a producer here, um, and I've been with the company since 2002. Okay. Uh, and my job here is, um, I think I work on three or four four or five titles, I guess three or four titles a year. Mm -hmm. And um, when you're assigned a title, you basically have to kind of figure out what story to tell about the movie. And um, so my job involves working with um, the editorial department to figure Mm -hmm. out who should write the the main essay, Mm -hmm. working with the art department, what the cover should look like and the Mm -hmm. through design. And then I have to come up with ways to kind of answer any questions that I might have as a a Mm -hmm. fan or someone coming new to the film. Sure, yeah. And filmmakers, so I put together all the special features. And are those overlapping, or are you pretty much working on one title at a time? They overlap. Yeah. Yeah, they all they kind of dovetail, and then there's, you know, the... And we're also, um, all the producers are also um, now contributing to the Criterion channel. Right, yeah, yeah. So we're kind of, you know, uh, doing double duty there, but, you know. and And are those experiences different for you, or they, they pretty much run the same it, kind of thing? Yeah, it kind of feels the same. Um, you get the immediate feedback though once it goes up right. <laughs> you get that immediate feedback yeah absolutely so that's cool yeah well, thank you for spending some time with us we, we appreciate it and like yeah. i said I, I'm, I'm i'm gonna check out the the bergman collection but uh, uh all the other stuff on the criterion is definitely right up our alley so thank you very much for that thanks for coming here it's a great pleasure okay great thank yeah. you all right we are back still at criterion uh, i'm now with ryan hullings of criterion um, and Ryan, uh, you're going to use that microphone in addition to the lapel one. Uh, we have a couple of audio-based questions, and Ryan is one of the audio specialists here at Criterion, and we'll pass to him. Uh, first question comes from Brian Hussar. Uh, any plans for Criterion to embrace Dolby Atmos on Blu-rays for any titles? Uh, any more Scorsese titles? Uh, and um, they were specifically asking... Um, Will we see multi-channel audio on the Criterion channel? Uh, well, this, that's kind of three questions, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was about getting more Scorsese flicks. Yeah. I have no that, control that, over that. Yeah, that might, that, <laughs> that's out that of my jurisdiction. You're supposed to sneak in with Lee. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, uh, on the Criterion channel, will we start seeing multi-channel audio? We're working on it. Um, I'm not actually, I can't really speak to that, unfortunately, either, because it's kind of, again, out of my purview, but we're aware of it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're aware that, you know, there's a problem. The demand. The demand, totally, yeah. yeah. And obviously, I'm advocating for sure. it, and we're working on 
you know. Okay. So it's in the works, but that's all I know right now, unfortunately. So, and, and this came down to the point where we were talking with Lee, and a lot of it comes down to the elements that you're given to begin with and what you have available to work with as far as the multi-channel audio and, and things like that. So it's well, not I like mean, you guys are developing your own No, I mean, th th that goes to really our, our entire philosophy for yeah. how we present films, you know, in that we want to you know, it sounds, it's a trope, but as the director intended, sure. you know, and like that means simply that when it comes to, um, you know, multi-channel audio in particular, we don't create a 5171 mix out mm -hmm. of a film uh, without the director's direction, you know, sure, and yeah. like so much of our catalog is dead directors, you know, right, so, yeah. you know, we're not going to take one, the technology to do that, mm -hmm. it's not great, right. you know. Um, it was very popular for a time being, mm -hmm. I think, to put a bullet point on packaging saying like, hey, new 5-1 mix. Yeah. But if it's not, if, it, if it's not actual the actually the vision of Fellini or something like right. that, you know, like why would we take that agency yeah. over it? So we wouldn't actually ever do that. You know, I strive, and again, it goes to the element acquisition right. thing. I mean, it's, again, bullet points, you know, sometimes you get a 5.1 mix and everything's set in the center channel. Well, I mean, the, dead air in four other channels. Yeah, totally. And, and, and really, you know, like the technology for doing it is kind of still crude. There's better technology now, you know, but the bottom line is if it's not recorded in a multi-channel right. format, or if you're not going back to the actual original stems mm -hmm. and remixing from scratch, which is a gargantuan right. undertaking, yeah, yeah. then you're, I think, more often than not doing a disservice to the film. Because sure. like in large part, what happens is, say you've got a stereo film mm -hmm. and uh, you want to make it 5-1, um, you'll probably you know, sum any mono material and put it in the center mm -hmm. channel. Um, stereo channel stuff will still be left and right, but it'll be pulled apart a little bit. And then the surrounds mm -hmm. will be some version of the left and right channels with a drenched in reverb. Right. Yeah. You know, and it, 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 to my ear, like yeah. I just cannot stand the yeah. sound of it. And and I, it, it doesn't really create an effective surround mm -hmm. experience. You know, it doesn't really put you in that place because you've still got you know VO coming from all right. around you. You know, when really it should be dead center. So, gotcha. but. The answer to the, the bottom line question is you'd like to see the uh, on the streaming services the the full parity with whatever oh absolutely tracks that you've got to oh absolutely into. yes uh, absolutely uh, and to piggyback on the Atmos question are there plans to standardize audio going forward right now some releases are in uncompressed PCM while others are in DTS HDMA and that's simply because those are the elements that you're getting from the original no that that's the, that's the encoding so yeah. when we source an element we transfer it or if it's a newer film and it exists digitally then we get the original digital assets right. so but ultimately we get digital files mm -hmm. they're pcm files they're wave right. files um and how they are presented on the disc is i think what you're asking about yes. right like yeah. so that question is not about i think there's a uh, our choice of codecs mm -hmm. is very intentional and we it's better not to be standardized in my mind I chose it this okay. way um, because it's about what the blu-ray and DVD spec supports so mm -hmm. like you know when blu-ray DVD was invented mm -hmm. you know like they made a standard that you could play back AC3 right, yes. you couldn't necessarily play back DTS right, audio right. Yeah. you could play back PCM audio right, right. Um, with blu-ray same thing happened right when it, at its inception 
you know, there's a spec that says sure. what sort of audio will be right. able to be played back. And at that point, um, and still, you know, uh, DTS, to my mind, is probably the best codec for up to 7.1 stuff. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Atmos is better because... Object-based. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if you've got more than two channels of audio, it's necessary to compress it in some sure. way, right? To, you know, leave room for picture in the bit mm -hmm. budget. You know, there's only so much information you can fit down the yes. pipe. The cool thing about Blu-ray these days, obviously, is, you know, the lossless decoding mm -hmm. of DTS, you know, or Dolby True HD is when mm -hmm. decoded properly, you get an actual identical file, right? Yes. right? To so, the master. Yeah, to the master. Yes. So, so there's no compromise in quality, um, but it is allows us to have to free up space for other stuff, right. right? So when dealing with more than two channels of audio, I think DTS is a great choice in large part because, and this was, again, decided early on in the process mm -hmm. um, of you know, migrating to Blu-ray, is that DTS is uh, kind of an ingenious way of accomplishing this um, when you consider backwards compatibility okay. to players that don't actually support DTS HDMA mm -hmm. decoding. Yeah. Okay, uh, if it only supports DTS decoding, DTS is maximum ba the base level yeah. regular DTS, not HDMA. Yeah. Its maximum bitrate is like 1.5 or 1.6 megabits per second, which is huge. Yeah, like it's that's three a, times what DVD was, right? Yeah. 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 Well, even I mean, yeah, and that's depending on the cha right. the, the like. Uh, number as of a channels base layer, right? as yeah. a base layer, right? Yeah. So, like, if you don't have an HDMI-capable uh, uh, receiver or something, you're still getting audio at 1.5 megabits per second, which is crazy Very good, speedy. you know. Yeah. Um, but for Dolby True HD, you know, it it didn't work that way, and I don't want to like diss Dolby True HD because it's actually a really good codec yeah. as well. But they were sort of competing at the same time. Mm -hmm. Dolby True HD required. Um, a companion AC3 for backwards compatibility. Right, yeah. yeah, it didn't have a core. So the DTS core is this 1.5 megabits per second core, and then on top of that, right. the HDM, the lossless information right, yeah, is yeah. layered in. Yeah, so you yeah. get like kind of the best. It's right. one track. Which you're doing with Atmos now too. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Totally. Atmos is awesome. Totally. Yeah. yeah totally. I mean. Who doesn't love Dolby? I, I'm not, not trying to diss sure. any of that. No, but. no, understood. So, so I mean, to, to answer Matt's question is that it makes sense for you to make those choices based on, on the a number disc of, by disc basis. It's on a ch and on. It's based on the number of channels. It's based mm -hmm. on channel status and. Further, um, PCM audio, right, mm -hmm. is exactly what we work with. Right. You know, like that is the the raw material, right. right, essentially. And it is also the most universally de understood decoded right, audio right, right, format right. in the world. So when we don't need to worry about space, like in an ideal situation, I would just encode everything PCM, right. you know, like DTS is great in all that. But right. if we didn't need to compress stuff, I would, right. PC I would do PCM for everything. But You for, do have that budget of space available on right. individual so, but, discs. But when we're dealing with two channels or one channel, like a monofilm, you know, there's no reason PCM, not to encode yeah. it as PCM, which is identical makes, to our master, you know? That makes total sense. Okay, so 32 has your name on it too, but this is mostly talking about older Laserdisc titles, uh, such as John Woo classics and stuff like that. And I know we talked about some of that with Lee. Is that a better question for him? 
uh, in terms of them being re-released. Yeah, re-releases. Yeah, probably. Again, I mean, we don't. Both Lee and I don't really make the schedule, so everyone's yeah. always asking those questions yeah. about when's this coming out, yeah. when's that coming out, you know. And I can't. Really and we all say, have our own individual list of what we want to see. Oh, totally. Yeah, and my yeah. friends are always asking me like, yeah. "When are you going to put this out? <laughs> I want this." You know, I'm like, dude, we don't have Ghostbusters yeah. anymore. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so there's one more technical question yeah. for you. I, I'm not sure if this came from Tino or somebody else, but my technical question would be: How does Criterion go about its audio cleanup? And how does the label feel about the issue of overzealous noise reduction and loudness compression? Is that something you can talk to? Yeah, totally. I think a lot about that. I think I've been here for 13 years or something, okay. you know, and um, technology has changed a lot over that time. Mm -hmm. But early on, you know, especially we tried to, I guess, in the broadest sense, my best work is when it's invisible. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have no idea that it has been restored, that there, any work has been done to it. It just, sure. you don't think about it. You know, there's no artifacts of my restoration. And I, uh, you know, when I came here, I was really pleased to learn that we've kind of got this very puristic sense or approach to restoration where it is like, if you can't fix it transparently, mm -hmm. then d I would rather hear the imperfection. Okay. You know, um, and that applies to get back to where I started with in terms of the change in technology, especially to noise reduction. Mm -hmm. um, noise reduction is, in the audio sense, kind of like one of the holy grails mm -hmm. of tools that we don't have yet. We have lots of noise reduction tools, and I use them all the time when mixing supplements or like mm -hmm. talking heads. Like if I were mixing us talking right, right now, right, I would put right. some noise reduction on both of our voices. Sure, It'd be very subtle, but I would mm -hmm. put some on, you know? I can't remember the last time I applied noise reduction to a film. Okay. Um, and that is because it invariably creates artifacts. And, and most of those are coming from elements that are done on the sound stage and stuff like that. So they're, they're no, recorded it's, well or? No, it's really, I mean, it's, it gets most radical when you're looking at like, like old optical elements. Say like, you're, you know, you're transferring a piece of film that you shine a light through. Mm -hmm. There's a drawing of the waveform. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. And that, those elements are inherently noisy you know okay. are you familiar with the academy yeah. curve yeah 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 um so that again was an mm -hmm. early sort of attempt to standardize and it was a pre-emphasis de-emphasis kind yes. of thing um but an attempt to deal with noise you right. know and i still think that those sorts of strategies like eq multi-band compression and that kind of stuff which don't necessarily create artifacts you know eq not really but like multi-band can depending on how you use it but mm -hmm. when used judiciously and intelligently doesn't really create artifacts and does a fair job of noise reduction. It's just, we just don't have the perfect noise reducer right. yet, you know? Like, it just doesn't exist, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So, and, and is there some level of familiarity with, with that as it existed and you don't want to mess with that? Or is it just because you, you, you don't think that it w would be effective? Uh, what do you mean? And like. People are familiar with the, those soundtracks as they've been presented. Oh well, theatrically I mean, or on yeah, that, releases. I think that that gets at sort of um, again a restoration strategy sort of question, which is, you know, how true do you want to stay to the original versus managing sort of modern expectations? Yeah. And again, 
mo modern films are easy because they're digitally right. recorded. They sound yeah. clean as a whistle. It's not a problem. Right, right. But when you're dealing with like, I think one of the first films I restored here was Three Penny Opera or something. Okay. It was like 36 or 1936, mm -hmm. Pabst or whatever. And it's like, it was very dirty. Sure. Lots yeah. of like, like it was a, again an optical element. So every speck of dust on there creates a pop, right. a click, or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's tons of noise. And if you were to apply the academy curve to it, you mm -hmm. know, you would get a lot, you would gain a lot of noise reduction, a hiss reduction, mm -hmm. it would clean it up a lot. Right. But what was amazing to me, I always think about this, is that even though it was recorded with technology from the 30s, there was a lot more high frequency information that okay. it was just gone. As oh. soon as you put a low pass filter on it, gone you couldn't it was like the brightness the sparkle yeah, all this yeah. kind of stuff that we expect to hear now mm -hmm. you know and so i am continually striving to kind of strike the balance between historically accurately right. presenting something and also getting the best out of making it sound as good as possible you know without actually you know, changing it in a significant way. You sure. know, so a lot of the time, you know, that that academy curve is really radical, and you can kind of open it up a little bit and get some more definitions, more sparkle out of a track. And you know, in the end, I think you can't undo EQ. Right. You know, yeah. so like, like when a lot of times I, I take a lot of pride in the idea that like I'm maybe this is the last time this film will ever be restored you know right. like making the final version of this film a lot of right. the times you know like and if you do something like crush it with noise reduction right. or put a really low high pass filter in there that's it's never coming forever. out yeah. yeah it's not never coming out yeah. you know like it, it's in there forever and then the same goes for i think the person asked about dynamics yeah and uh again i would never ever ever compress a film okay like never i again going to the sort of, you know, preservationist side of things, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, once you do that, you can't get it back. Right. You know, that is a destructive change to a film that has nothing to do with the director's intent as well. And, and you're not working on the visuals at all, right? Because the other part of their I got my hands is, full it, with uh, audio. Yeah. yeah, no, I got you. <laughs> the, the, uh, the other half of the question is, you know, doing noise reduction and, and um, brain reduction and stuff like that. We can talk... The same kind of idea. It's the right? same idea, totally. I mean, it's a little complex. I know, yeah. I'll let Lee talk about that, but sure. th that's definitely a very complicated and sticky subject. Yeah. I, I guess what what's next for you guys is, is more in the multi-track and the Atmos and things like that, or you pretty much... It's title up, by title. Up, yeah, title you by know, title. You know, yeah. it really is. Like, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, there's, in terms of what next, what's next, it's, I've got a lot on my plate right now that's mm -hmm. still releasing films from the 40s, you know, right. that have very bad sounding optical tracks mm -hmm. that require weeks of restoration you know like and that's the tuned by hand right? yeah that's the other thing that i actually mm -hmm. wanted to re in terms of restoration strategy that i wanted to stress is that we do our restorations again i'm lucky to work in a place that doesn't have a budget exactly all the time sure. for a film right we give it what we think it needs mm -hmm. you know within reason yeah and um we i think generally allocate a lot more time to manually fixing things like letting okay. a human decide mm -hmm. whether or not that click or pop or thump or whatever is actually part part of what was recorded on right. set or right, if right. it's a vestige of age you know mm -hmm. and so like we manually go through and like I've spent weeks just going through listening closely on cans yeah. like fixing little tiny clicks wow. you know like and it's 
It's a manual process. It's a right? manual process, yeah. and it's it's still like there are automated algorithms that will identify those clicks and whatnot, or right. identify a click. Sure. But it can't really still make the decision right. about whether or not that click is supposed to be there or not. Right. You know, and after doing it for a while, it's very easy for me to hear the difference right. between them. But it's not easy for the computer. Can't train to do. an AI to do it. Right? Yeah, sooner or later, that's going to take over my job. And like, yeah. the, like I said, the technology keeps yeah. getting so much better. You yeah. know that like our tools now are light years beyond when I started. Right. My job is much easier than it used to be. Yeah. But uh, yeah, eventually I'll be out of a job. I don't know about that. I mean, the, the same things happen in the photography side of things, right? So you, it's all about what's your intent, right? And what, yeah. what do you want your final thing to be? And sure, you can train an AI to do that, but you know the artistries and what the humans put into it so yeah i think so i think you're right all right well thank you very much ryan we yeah, appreciate it's my it pleasure. anything else you want to add no uh well no anything you want me to add no no i think <laughs> we're good thank you very much yeah. appreciate your time yeah thank Thanks. you hey we do have a couple follow-up questions uh this is from uh brian hussar who wanted to know uh any more Scorsese titles on the horizon? Upgraded Raging Bull with new 4K would be really cool. Maybe. Uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I don't think so, actually, though. No? Okay. This, we believe, is from Tina Cap- Tino Capone. My film suggestion credits will also be about older Laserdisc titles returning to the collection, such as John Woo classics and titles with restored prints in archives but no video releases at all such as holiday and the film foundation restored lusty men anthony mann westerns and greed anything on those maybe maybe yeah because a a bunch of those are on that list of things that were previous releases that might someday they're all good all good titles all good titles there's a big maybe for you tino yeah uh, Meet John Doe, which has not had a single proper video release. Even the VCI disc is a copy of a not-so-good Powell Master. Any of I haven't heard anything that? about that. I'm not familiar with that one myself. Can you talk about anything with regard to color timing issues and noise reduction in the video side? We, we talked to uh, Ryan a little bit about noise reduction in audio. Mm-hmm. But how do you guys decide uh, where... Uh, you know that that fine line between what's the right amount of grain and what what amount of optical cleanup as far as noise reduction happens well we typically don't use any of that stuff except when for instance um, we're combining two pieces of film that look very different from each other and we try to make them look the same as far as grain wise so you don't go from one extreme to the other um, so it's used delicately as needed. But as a general rule, we don't really do grain reduction unless a filmmaker really asks us to do it. And most of them we try to talk out of it because we don't uh, really like it. Um, so your key is the master, right? You want things to look as close to the master well, as we possible? Well, we just don't. Our approach to restoration is if it doesn't, if you can't make it look as good as the original, then you leave it alone so if there's a scratch that doesn't repair because the tools don't really do a job maybe they leave an artifact that the artifact Mm -hmm. is not good and you would go back and leave the scratch okay same thing with the noise reduction we wouldn't really do it unless there was a need to do it but our general rule is that we don't do it that's totally fair okay that's it for our follow-up podcast exclusive questions thank you very much (laughs) you're very welcome 
Okay, so we're in uh, one of the color editing rooms with Lee. Lee, what what are you going to show us here? So I I thought you know as we talk about cyan and teal and um, uh, you know it's a question of uh, why it's here and why it isn't here. You know, so this is a good example. This is a John Sales film. So I guess we're giving a giving it away that we're going to uh, going to be doing a John Sales film, but. Uh, we won't say the name. Well, yeah, I'll try to... <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, uh, this film was shot by the great Haskell Wexler. Uh, and Haskell left us a great gift, which was a timed answer print that he did at the time of the uh, picture protection restoration, which was done by UCLA. He left us a print that he timed uh, and approved that John Sales also approved. And what we found, and if you can see the print is what, what we did was we projected the print mm. and then put a grade on it as a one light to make sure that they looked the same when they were running because we couldn't really grade matching a running print uh, or at least we couldn't do that here in New York with, with John Sales. So we did it this way uh, and then John approved of the one light that was done and then we went to matching it. And other than the fact that there's less detail in the print because that's just always going to be the case right. versus an original negative. You can see that the color and the teal of the cyan right. are very close. And what do you mean by a one light a shot? A one light is basically a grade that you set it and it goes all the way through the film as opposed to going shot by shot. And, oh, I and see. Okay, it. right, right. Okay. So when we did the, when we use the one light, and you can see here, yeah. you can see we've got the color pretty damn close. Right. And this, why I say this is a gift, is because it allows us to really go in and match it to what Haskell did, Neat. and what Haskell liked, right. and what Haskell approved. Then, after we ran, did ran, run, went and did that, well, we had John Sales come in, and he went it through shot by shot and changed things if he thought it should be darker or lighter. Right. But we, ninety-eight percent of the time, we were in line with Haskell's prints because this is the print that we knew was the way the movie should look. Right. There's no doubt that cyan and teal, like here's an example of, of a color that you would never know would be the color, but that is what it's supposed to be. Again, here, more of the, more of there's that cyan. Right, yeah, you see it there. Teal. So if you think that we went and made this decision, this is a decision that yeah. was happily made for yeah. us by Haskell Wexler <laughs> and John Sales. Right. So... If you think a lot of people lean toward these colors, don't always assume that it's their choice. Right. Assume that they've done their homework. Right. Maybe they haven't. I don't know. I can't speak for everybody. But in the case of uh, Criterion, this is a case where we did our homework. And we right. have that, that, that print to match it. We're able to also, I mean, because of, because of uh, this technology that are in front of us, we can really go in and dial in, make sure shots match each other better than Haskell was ever to do. Because if you see, if you go from one shot to another... They don't always match exactly, sure. but what we're able to do is make them match exactly. Now. Nice. Now, you said that this was based on an answer print. An answer I, print. I, I'm it's not a print familiar made with that from term. the original negative. Right. That's timed with a color timer and the cinematographer. Okay. Not always the cinematographer. In this case, right. the cinematographer. He used certain filters. He used certain film stocks. Mm -hmm. He made the print on a stock that he knows. This print, because it hasn't faded, is now the Bible of what this movie should I look see. like. Other you, than John Sales, and you don't always have that luxury. That don't that's always have that, that luxury. It's rare. No, I remember with the uh, we did a Kurosawa film called Dreams, 
which he made in the 80s. And uh, we didn't have Kurosawa, but the cinematographer had this great, great thing. He brought it to the session in Tokyo. It was a book of all of Kurosawa's drawings of oh. what he wanted the scenes to look like mm-hmm. with the colors. Really? So we were able to just okay. make our color correction using using these these illustrations that were literally hand drawn by Kurosawa himself. It was, it was an amazing thing to have. Mm-hmm. So we felt like we were really getting things right okay. without knowing Kurosawa was in the room. Interesting. Yeah. And and so I, I guess the the controversy happens when people start comparing previous home releases sure. and stuff like that, and and also their memories of what they think they remember from the theater and stuff like that. Yeah. So from your perspective you've at least got a reference that you're working from and it's as best as you can get to that and anything else after that is you know subject to interpretation if i don't have this print and i have to make it up you can probably say well criterion didn't do their homework but we don't do that right we bring in filmmakers we bring in cinematographers we look at answer prints we do whatever we can to make sure the color's right and i believe most of my my peers and my 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 comrades in 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 who are doing the same thing are all doing uh, basically the same job right. and we're doing a homework very cool I can't say everyone's doing the homework but the people that I know of that do this are pretty good about it well that that's a terrific demo and again I'm I'm multiple kinds of colorblind so I'm, I'm working well from, trust me yeah Ron you you agree yeah. right we're pretty close yeah, yep. yeah. I mean and, that's a strange color yeah. choice yeah I mean and, and just to show you without even without changing much of anything Here's what you can do. Like if I if I looked at this and I didn't know it, the first thing I would do is probably take that cyan right. out. Yeah. Right. Make it more toward red. Right. Warm it up a little bit. Make it a little brighter, maybe. Yeah. You know, maybe make it a little more neutral. Again, you're looking at it with 2019 eyes. Right. And what you know your personal style. And you know, movies are meant to be somewhat dreamlike in a totally lot of it. Agree. You know, and, they're trying and, to take you to another place. Yeah, and and that director's vision, and and so yeah, if you, if you were to say that's not how I would edit that picture, I mean, I'm a I'm a, a still photographer, right? That's certainly not the look that I would go for. Right. But you know, because you've got this reference material, that this is what they wanted. It's what they wanted. That's James Earl Jones. And you know what? If someone says James Earl Jones is too teal, Haskell says it isn't. And I know that because... (laughs) You've got that to work I've got that. Yeah. That's a terrific demo. Yeah. So I hope that maybe puts this teal cyan controversy to rest a little bit. Mm -hmm. I want people... People should question that. I probably not. But but I do want people to always question it and ask questions. I just feel like when people do assume that they know the answer, their assumption isn't always correct. There's right. reasons for things. Uh, yeah. Do we get it wrong? Sometimes we do. Yeah. We're human, right? We're human. Yeah. 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 Well, I, this has been a terrific morning spent with you guys. Uh, you've answered all of our questions. You've given us a terrific demo. Is there anything you want to end with? Just keep watching movies and um, stream them, buy them, do whatever you need to do. But just keep watching movies. Well, I, I guarantee that uh, our home theater and forum members are going to do that. I can't thank you enough, and we'll uh, we'll look forward to what's next from you guys on disc and streams. Sounds good to thank, me. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Lee. Thank you.